This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 221. Roger Moore on Hypnosis for Dementia. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Get ready for an incredibly inspiring conversation. Hey, it's Jason Lynette here and welcoming Roger Moore to the program, and it's about time. Here we go about five years into the program, and I've known of Roger's work for many more years than five years, and you're going to hear an amazing conversation here, which uh, includes everything from his journey losing 100 pounds, to the mindset of people always being in trance, to the segment I wanted to spend an hour inside of, which was the week he spent with Virginia Satir, and then bringing it all full circle to an incredible conversation about doing work supporting those people going through Alzheimer's or dementia, and not just them, but also their family members as well. So just some incredible takeaways and some really important uh, thoughts in terms of rethinking how it is we support people, whether it's, you know, the standard such as weight loss or working with folks who are going through cancer treatments, as well as, of course, these categories of of ongoing memory loss and the work that we can do to actually support along the way. So this is an incredible conversation, which I know is already having me thinking about some of the clients that I've got coming in in the coming weeks and some strategies to begin to share with them and really begin to inspire some incredible change. If you head over to the show notes at worksmarthypnosis.com, of course, I'm going to link over to Roger's websites as well as specifically to his post-conference offering that's happening this year at HypnoThoughts Live 2019 in Vegas, simply a class called Hypnosis for Dementia, which shares the title of this podcast session too. And while you're online, check out Neurolinguistic Business. This is actually the two-day post-convention offering that I'm doing right after Roger's class at HypnoThoughts Live 2019. Neurolinguistic Business, the details are online at worksmarthypnosis.com forward slash NLP biz. This is where we're going to be applying the principles of neurolinguistic programming to not just increase the business flow of our practices and our courses and our product sales, but also you're going to see that how when you heighten the business aspect of what you do, you actually can heighten the results of what you do with people as well. Learn more by heading over to worksmarthypnosis.com forward slash NLP biz. And with that, let's jump directly into this inspiring conversation. Here we go with episode number 221, Roger Moore on Hypnosis for Dementia. It was in the late 1960s, and I was working in a uh, drug crisis hotline, uh, all-night crisis hotline, uh, often overdoses and suicidal folks. And and the phone wasn't ringing. It was about 2 a.m. and I was bored and laying on the desk was uh, a book about hypnosis. And I started reading it and I've been hooked ever since. Yeah. Do you remember what book that was? You know, I wish I knew. I have no oh. idea. Absolutely <laughs> no clue. Not a bit. Do you remember any themes of it? Like what kind of ideas was it presenting? It, it talked, it was, what what I remember of it, um, and I wish I had a clue what it was. It was pretty old school. Uh, it talked about you know trance depths and somnambulism and 
and I talked uh, we talked about using pendulums and going deeper and deeper and and um, I, I mean that was my uh, initial introduction um, and um, come a long way since then but uh, yeah it was what I remember of it was was really old school yeah and I love that here you were in a different career path and there's many people out there who are kind of at that border of here's something they're curious about here's something they're already doing what what skills would you say came from that previous career and leading into the hypnosis well that wasn't a career I was a volunteer there and I was still yes. in high school or oh, senior wow. and yeah. senior in high school and from there, uh, I went to, uh, well, first Bethel College in, in St. Paul and, and to uh, study uh, social work and, and ended up at UW, or excuse me, University of Minnesota uh, in the criminal justice department and left there very cynical <laughs> and started working with uh, children and adults with uh, developmental disabilities and running residential and day programs. And then I, while I was doing that, started uh, my uh, chemical dependency training um, at St. Mary's Hospital, uh, part of Hazleton and, and the Vern Johnson Institute. And there I got to uh, spend a week with Virginia Satir. Oh, wow, yeah. And um, I had no clue I was at the feet of a master, the feet of God. Uh, <laughs> she was the most beautiful, awesome woman. And, um, and that really, even though we didn't talk about hypnosis formally, it just kind of all started clicking for me. And the way that she talked and the, and the way that she related to people and, and the way she would you know, mix families up and move people around in the room and, and change positions. It, it was just her, her skills were, were phenomenal and, and, and she was just masterful with it. Yeah, I got to ask, is there a story of like a specific moment that stands out from what you learned from spending time with her? I remember there was a family that um, was in crisis and, and dad was alcoholic and he was very uh, blaming of, of the family, and it was all their fault. Mm -hmm. And he had, uh, or Virginia had, uh, he and his seven-year-old daughter switch chairs in the room. That's all she did was switch positions of where they were seated. And it was like night and day. Um, in the change in him, uh, the change in perspective, and that's when he broke down, and when progress started being being made, and wow. she didn't have him change roles or anything like that. She just interrupted him and asked him to trade places with her, and the the, the whole music changed. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. That's amazing, and. Are there any specific insp inspirations that have come from that to the work you do nowadays? You know, there are. I don't do so much with with couples anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I have a master's in married family therapy. When I was doing, you know, heavily into into relationship counseling, uh, I would have people sometimes just switch chairs in the middle of a session or in conversations and. 
not about changing roles, but I would just have them change chairs and, and watch the dynamics change uh, between the couple. Recently, I had a, a husband and wife come in. Uh, she has a, a rare form of stage four cancer. And she wanted him in the, in the room with her. And he kept interrupting and kept domineering, and I was real close to throwing him out. <laughs> and and um, I just thought, okay, let's try this. And I said, excuse me, would the two of you change chairs? And they looked at me kind of weird, and he said, seriously? And I said, yeah, please. <laughs> and he never said a word after that. He let her. You know, I'd ask a question, and she was allowed to answer. Whereas up until then, I'd ask her a question, he'd start talking, and that lasted. I let it run about ten minutes that way into the session, and then that's when I had him change chairs. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like, okay, he's not going to shut up. This is going to continue. Uh, so something has to happen here in order for for this to be her session, not his. Yeah. Uh, and then since then, she's been in the room by herself. Uh, he's he's never <clears throat> never has asked never said a word. I don't know what what she might have said to him, but um, he waits in the lobby. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know that aspect of switching positions. That's something I read about in one of her books early on, and it's where sometimes and i think most people would understand what i mean by this you're working with a client and it seems like they're observing the process rather than in the process and that has been my go-to solution now for years just to simply say you know move to this chair now or simply stand up just that that sense of movement interrupts that passive attitude and now brings them fully into the process without having to scold, without having to kick someone out of the room, perhaps, uh, but in a very organic way, it just automatically Absolutely. shifts that yes. perspective. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And when I'm often when I'm working with kids, um, uh, they start out in a chair, and, and um, if that's not going real well, uh, I sit down on the floor and have them come sit down on the floor with me, and then we're in business. Yeah. Outstanding, outstanding. So then from there, after spending that time with Virginia Satir, what were those next steps for you in terms of getting things up and running? Well, I continued working in residential and day programs uh, for a lot of years, and, and uh, both in Minnesota, and then on, I was the executive director of uh, the Ark of Maui um, when, when we lived on Maui. And what I did there with people that were profoundly, severely retarded, um, uh, that was the terminology back then, uh, with people that uh, with severe autism, often I'd end up, you know, if they were rocking or stimming, I I'd often would stand behind them or beside them with just my hands on, on their back or, or on their um, shoulder or sometimes, you know, maybe if it was appropriate, I'd hold their hand and would talk softly. And or sometimes would hum if they were singing a song or had a song that I'd sing with them and get them to that place where they could calm down and start creating some comfort, some peace within themselves, stop the, the, the stimulation and uh, you know, the, the self-injurious part of it anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and 
and I t would teach ta staff how to do this. If I never ever talked about hypnosis or I anything there, but just about talking softly, slowing the breath, m slowing movements with them, leading and pacing. Um, so that was that experience. And, and then I went on to get my master's in married family therapy. And, um, and also at about the same time, I actually did my formal certification as a clinical hypnotherapist, because up until then I'd just been reading. And uh, that was with Al Krasner, uh, American Board of Hypnotherapy. And, uh, and then <clears throat> followed up with Topher Morrison, Christopher Morrison, who uh, used to be a, a major in the field years ago. And um, it was... Um, it was actually in one of Topher's uh, trainings that he volunteered, or he asked for a volunteer for a weight loss subject. And I thought, okay, sure, I'll do that. And and it was very much with the attitude of, yeah, right, because I don't know if you, if you know who Topher was, but he was kind of like Scott Sandlin when I first met him. Topher <laughs> was maybe 20, 21 and, and teaching this class, and I thought, what's this kid know? And... Um, and at the time, I weighed 260 pounds, and, and I fully believed in hypnosis. I just knew that nothing was going to work for me and my weight. And um, went up there, sat there, went through it, forgot about it, but I noticed two things. There were times that I would stop eating and have food left on my plate, and there were times that I um, uh, uh, took me longer to eat than, than it did my wife. I always inhaled my food. <laughs> And so I set up several more sessions with Topher and lost 120 pounds and have oh, kept wow. it off yeah. for almost 26 years now. Yeah, and I love to, to bounce around throughout this because I know you've got the book Becoming Slender for Life. You're known for weight loss programs. If you had to kind of rewind back, what would you say that click was for you that kind of brought it full circle to go, yeah, this is happening now? It was... Yeah, well, I always talk about that we're always in trance, we're never not. Yes. And and my whole food trance was food was comfort. There was a fear of being hungry. Oh, I might get hungry, so I better eat now. Uh, and I always had to clean my plate, and I always looked for the food that had the most fat, most salt, and more, most, most sugar in it. Um, and it, I went from that to being in control of, of myself and my food choices and realizing I'm not hungry. I'm depressed, I'm bored, I'm lonely, I'm angry, I am whatever I'm feeling, but this is not about food. I don't need to eat now. And and for me, it was that whole sense of I'm in control yeah. versus food having control. And so it was me learning how to be in control of me. And, and yeah, and how has that how has that inspired how you help your clients? I, I often talk about that, and and I wrote about it in my book too. You know, because I, I do a lot of work with uh, in the religious community and, and fundamentalist communities, and, and often have ministers of a variety of faiths as, as clients. And there's that whole thing of being you know, hypnosis and being controlled by the devil, and and I just keep pointing out to them, wait a minute. You know, gluttony is a sin. So which is more sinful? You being in control of you and 
making healthy choices and treating your body as a temple of God, or letting Satan have control and feeding you Dairy Queen and McDonald's hamburgers. Mm -hmm. And those, um, the, the light comes on then of, wait a minute, you know, who is in control here and what am I doing to my body? And um, uh, so it's just empowering people to make the choices they want for themselves versus what they think they have to make or should make or what they're used to. Yeah. Outstanding. Outstanding. And, and I'm curious to ask this at times because some people get more specific in terms of what actions to take, what things to make use of in the weight loss process. Some are entirely eliciting it from the client. What, what tends to be your approach for that? Well, I'm very much whole plant-based food. Yes. And, um, I will not work with somebody that wants to do Atkins or keto, or I'm just very upfront about it. Mm -hmm. uh, most of my clients are not vegan, um, but they certainly increase the amount of vegetables and whole grains that they're eating and decrease the amount of meat and dairy. Um, and um, and that's to me is what's most important is to stop eating the standard american diet the food that, yeah. that that's making people fat and sick and uh, but if somebody uh i turned somebody down the other day who was really disappointed um you know she she had heard about me had um a, a relative had referred her to me but she was bound and determined that she was going to do keto and i said i'm not your guy i cannot mm -hmm. support you in that and and i sorry i i won't do that well, I mean, a lot of that comes down to as well, knowing knowing what you work well with, but also I can hear, you know, some of the passion behind that statement as to this is what's worked so well for you. This is what so much research now supports. And, you know, when you're with that person, how how is that usually handled in terms of, you know, this is the program, this is the plan we're going to be addressing? I'm not, what do you mean? How's it handled? But Right. Is it, is that part of, let's call it the sales process? Is that part of the... Uh, conversation in advance it's it's part of i don't really sell um, right, yes. never i've never had to sell um yeah. and i've actually pretty much basically refused to sell but i do offer uh with weight loss uh uh generally a 60 to a 90 minute uh, no charge consultation it's pretty in-depth with the weight loss and in that process uh i do tell them very clearly um what what eating strategy uh, that I will be pushing them to, to use uh, and describe it uh, to them that it's whole plant-based foods. And, um, you know, often I, I've had more of a problem with people sitting there, will you just hurry up and take my money without mm -hmm. listening? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and no, I won't. <laughs> uh, I want you to buy into this. Uh, I don't want to be just one more weight loss failure. You know, we're, you're, you are going to have to show up and do your part. And, and here's what, what is expected of you. And um, so in, when, in doing that, people very clearly hear that uh, their hamburgers and their ice cream and their butter and cheese is, is not going to be part of their daily fare anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the beauty of just the old statement. There's no change without change. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, people will, will often talk about, well, that seems radical. Well, to me, 
get insulin shots are, are radical or mm -hmm. having a foot amputated because of diabetes is radical. Having open heart surgery is, is radical when most of those diseases are reversible and, and certainly preventable uh, with, with dietary changes. Yeah. Yeah. So then at what point did the, did the hypnosis actually take over at one point in terms of the career path or what was that transition? Well, um, I, uh, my, my wife and I in February moved from Bainbridge Island, where we lived for 22 years, to uh, Palm Desert. Big, big change in, in lots of ways. Yes. And um, I decided that I was only going to focus on medical hypnosis. And, and my practice has, has expanded far beyond just weight loss. Um, it's, actually, weight loss has become a fairly small piece of my practice now. Uh, I mostly am working with cancer and autoimmune disease and dementia and, and chronic pain. Mm. Um, but um, and, and then being here in California, even though my, my master's in married family therapy is in California, and I did all my, my 3,000 hours uh, in California, I'd still have to reset uh, for the test uh, the uh, an MFT in California. And at this point in my life, it's like, nah, <laughs> not interested. And so I'm um, only doing hypnosis now. Yeah, outstanding. So I'm going to talk about the medical side of things then that is there a specific approach to that? Is there a specific mindset that seems to be an area that some would even, some would even be afraid of helping? Well, you know, I, I'm a, over the years have gotten simpler and simpler in my approach mm -hmm. and, and less and less gimmicky. Yes. Um, I teach people very simple, very easy, self-hypnosis skills. I teach them simple, easy stress reduction tools. I teach them simple, easy ways of reducing and, and dialing back uh, discomfort, increasing comfort. And, and also really focus more from a neuroplasticity standpoint of memorizing joy and, and you know, really anchoring joy in their life and feeling that versus, oh, my God, I hurt so bad today, or, or life sucks. And, um, and, and also, no matter how bad things are, that right now in this moment, no matter how much pain they're in, right now in this moment, they're still okay. And when people can, can find that, that place of being mindful, and yeah, this hurts, but you know I'm okay, it's amazing the transformation that occurs in, in how the the comfort level increases because yeah. they're no longer focused on not being okay. They're no longer focused on, on, on the discomfort. Well, I mean, that, that beautifully connects back to the dialogue about nutrition that, you know, it, it begins with here's the things you're going to enjoy more of. Here's those things that you're going to fill the body up more with that give your body nourishment. And rather than fill the body up with that signal of pain, instead, here are the signals you could become more aware of and heighten for yourself. You know, and, and years ago, um, I would give people a daily tracking sheet and have them list their symptoms 
and would have them rank the level of discomfort on a daily basis for those symptoms. And uh, actually, uh, in large part uh, due to Kelly Woods um, and Hope Coaching, went, oh, <laughs> let's, let's change this. Yeah. <laughs> and I still give them a daily tracking sheet, but I now have them track their level of comfort. And each week bring in showing me that, you know, their level of comfort it might have only increased by a half uh, number this week, but they experienced more comfort than they did the week before. And over, you know, three, four weeks, it's amazing to see those numbers go up and and the smile on people's faces when they come in. And, and sometimes without those uh, daily tracking sheets, people aren't aware of the changes they've made. Yeah. And, and I hang on to the sheets. So when somebody says, well, I don't think, you know, they hand me their sheets for the week and, and they'll sometimes say, I don't feel like I've come very far. And I go, well, really, how, you know, here you're all week long, you've been pretty much at a six here. And, and three weeks ago, you were at a two. And they go, really? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that helps them shift and really anchor in that, yes, they are improving. They are getting better. Yeah, and um, yeah, and to just just stay focused on on wellness, and and you know Herbert Benson and remembered wellness, and and remembering a time in their life when when they felt healthy, when they felt well. Well, I mean, so much of that I'm sure begins with breaking out of the binary, breaking out of the I'm either in pain or I'm not, I'm either overweight or I'm not, and instead setting things in motion. Right. And and make and taking the the judgment out of it, accepting yeah. that, uh, okay, I have discomfort. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. And even that little shift of just the acknowledgement of it existence, mm -hmm. rather than making it wrong and bad, will we'll let the air out of the balloon, will we'll ease that, that tension. So you mentioned a few simple self-hypnosis techniques. Like, what's an example of something you'd often share? Well, I, back a long time ago, learned Jerry Kine's um, light switch self-hypnosis. Oh, yes. Yeah. And so I teach a version of that and teach people that, yeah, in one minute, you actually can get quite relaxed and also uh, get some, you know, make some changes. You know, focus on on being calm and relaxed versus upset and angry. And then when they have the the luxury of of more time, you know, three minutes or five minutes or twenty minutes, they can use the same technique. They just don't have to to rush back. But they're sitting in the doctor's office and about to go in for an MRI, and and they're feeling claustrophobic. They have time to do a minute. They might not get a chance to listen to Orange Blossom for 27 minutes, although a lot of MRR places um, actually have Orange Blossom in their queue. Uh, but um, um, it's, it's, they, can, they can learn to do it very quickly on their own. Yeah. So you mentioned, I love the statement you said earlier about not having to advertise and purposefully not selling. Where, where are most of these people finding you nowadays? Well, you know, I... I 
came down here to, to Palm Desert and in Seattle I'd gotten very lazy. I hadn't marketed in, in years. You know, I do a daily blog post, but uh, I just had not done any marketing. I didn't have to. It was all word of mouth referral and and just, you know, people find find my websites. So I've come down here and, and you know, four months ago and or February, so I guess yeah, four months ago. And I had an office that I really didn't you know, I was busy unpacking and settling in and and it was really the uh late March, early April before I really started putting myself out there and started going to Chamber of Commerce meetings. Yeah. Uh, I do two breakfasts a month and uh, or excuse me, one breakfast a month, two lunches a month, and then if perhaps an after hours if there is one. Uh that has been a huge source of referrals. And then there's a, a Desert Health, which is a, a very well-done 32-page newspaper in full color um, here that comes out every other month in the Valley. Uh, my first article appeared there on May 1st. I'm working on another one. It's due on the 15th here in a couple of days uh, for, for July 1. And... Um, or no, August one, I guess it is. May, June, yeah, must, yeah, July one. Oh. Anyway, um, it's been through those contacts and then uh, through the Lucy Kirchie Cancer Center at Eisenhower and uh, the Desert Regional Cancer Center, going in and meeting the the support care staff, the oncologists, and that's where the referrals are coming. Yeah, and which I love that because just simply getting out there and educating the public is mostly what's doing it for you. Absolutely, yeah. That and then the other is the Alzheimer's organization. Yeah, I really expected I'd be doing a whole lot more footwork, uh, sh you know, the shoe leather marketing of going door to door. I haven't had to. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm actually struggling trying not to work more than I want to right now, and, which is a nice problem to have. <laughs> it's a good problem to it have, is. yeah. It's, it's, and, and there's that temptation of, of trying to squeeze people in, oh, I suppose I could work on Friday or Monday. I only want to work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And, and you know, so I end up scheduling people, you know, for the first session three weeks from now. And I never, never really thought I'd be at that point in, in, in a couple months. Yeah. So chat with me a bit about the support work for people with Alzheimer's, and also I know you work with dementia. Yes, yes. So uh, I first started getting involved in, in working with, with Alzheimer's. It was uh, about 20, 21 years ago, somewhere in there. Um. On Bainbridge Island, uh, working out in the gym one morning, a man came up to me and and said, can you help my mother? And I said, I don't know what's going on. Well, she has Alzheimer's, and she's just restless and agitated and freaked out and screams all the time, and, and uh, can, can hypnosis help her? And I looked, and I said, I have no idea. And I said, but you know what? I'm curious. I'd be happy to meet with her and see. 
And so I ended up uh, scheduling going to her home, and uh, her son, had, this man, had moved in with her, and and it was um, uh, he and an, a, care, a caregiver that they had hired that was there, and the woman, and went in the bedroom, and and um, the two of them were there was the four of us in the room, and just started talking to her and. And, you know, she had no idea who I was and asked my name about ten times. And and uh, I asked her if, if I could touch her. And I was sitting next to her bed, and I said, would it be okay if I just reached over and, and laid my, my hands on your arm? And she held out her hand, so I ended up putting one hand in her hand and, and my other hand on her arm and just started talking real softly to her. And, and I had also... Uh, prearranged and talking to the son, asked him that if I nodded at him, would he start playing her favorite music? And so I nodded at him, and he turned on the tape recorder and started playing some big band songs. And I just talked really softly to her, and she just, you could just see the her whole body relax. And she kind of dozed off to sleep, and I kept talking, and and then um, I just sat there silently for a little while while the music played, and and then I chatted with the the son and, and the caregiver, and I finally left. And two days later, I got a phone call from the son saying it's a miracle. And I said, "What?" <laughs> and he said, "She has not slept this well." She has not uh, been this peaceful in months. Can you come back? Yeah. And that was my first introduction. I had absolutely no clue. Uh, didn't no idea what I was doing other than talking softly and helping her relax. And um, she, I, I saw her several more times in her home, probably four times maybe, and she passed... Uh, I don't know, about five months after I first met her. Um, but um, that was really what it was all about, was just looking for that relaxation. Mm -hmm. I started doing the research, and, and it was in 2008. There was this study that appeared out of England uh, with Dr. Dan Nightingale, who is now in Arizona, and um, about... Uh, he did his doctorate on um, hypnosis and, and Alzheimer's and, and dementia. And I've studied with Dr. Dan. He's actually become a good friend. Um, and um, he and I talk from time to time and or text back and forth. And, and uh, so that was my, my training and experience in, in working with dementia and Alzheimer's is then starting... Once in a while, sometimes people will come to my office. I've actually met with people online of where um, had a, a woman in, in France whose daughter would sit on the bed with the laptop, and, um, and I'd talk to the two of them uh, over Adobe Connect. I can only think of maybe one time over the years where I did not have a family member or caregiver in the room with me because so much of the work uh, is carried on after I leave. Mm 
mm-hmm. and and it's teaching you know the relaxation skills to to the caregiver the family member whoever's going to be primarily there with them to, to carry it on and also to stress the importance of the recordings that I now leave and leaving recordings that you know things like orange blossom that that people can listen to um you know uh, throughout the day or day in and day out type of, of recordings to help them get to that place of, of relaxation. And, and what's been shown according to the studies is that, and, and then the feedback that I receive, is people have uh, do have better memory, uh, are remembering family members better. Uh, wow, yeah. That they're doing better with their... Um, ADLs, their, their daily living skills, you know, with teeth brushing and face washing, the, those types of things. Um, with with eating, uh, eating has improved. And um, so far, no cure. Um, I don't worry about cure. Uh, my goal is to make every moment they have left the most comfortable and, and, and the best moment it can be. Yeah, it's beautiful, and I love especially the the aspect of you know helping the family members as well, because that's something that is going to be difficult for everybody involved, of course. Well, that and and just um, often I'm, I'm talking with the caregiver or family member uh, in front of um, the the primary client and engaging the client in the conversation so we're not just talking about them but right, you yes. know, you're still here in the room and you're still part of us and and we acknowledge that and but that that whole concept of remember i can't remember mm-hmm. and and learning how to be okay with answering the same question 10 times in 10 minutes or um having somebody you know take two bites of their oatmeal and stop eating and picking up the bowl and you know and then the caregiver picking up the bowl leaving the room coming back in the room with the bowl setting it down have them take two more bites of oatmeal and stop and and just keep going that process until the bowl of oatmeal is eaten because mm-hmm. you know one of the big problems is nourishing people with with uh, dementia you know, with alzheimer's is getting them to eat and um but you know, you take the food out of the room, you come back in. It's a whole new experience, whole new meal. Right, which, which unfortunately, yet in some ways, fortunately, they don't have those skills yet. They don't have those experiences. So I love that there's the educational aspect that goes along with right. that. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, people don't know that they they uh, have no idea, mm-hmm. um, and and they just get frustrated and start you know getting the person the the person the, the client more agitated you know creating more stress over you got to eat yeah and curious about the actual work inside of that when you mentioned a recording what does that typically consist of well i i, I don't know if you're I've, I've mentioned orange blossom several times orange blossom is a um free 27 minute uh recording that actually originated from robert otto hmm. and um I'd used, I'd learned it originally from him, and had used it for a number of years. And then I started getting requests from, to re, you know, for recordings of it, and, and I asked Bob if I could record it, and he graciously gave me permission. Some ways, I wish I would have charged a dollar for it because it's had over one hundred and seven thousand downloads that I know of. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, and people share it all the time, so who knows how many of it's actually had? 
but that's one of the primary recordings and then other relaxation recordings uh, that I have um, I'll leave those with people uh, with dementia I've never ever talked um, I was thinking about this the other day and I've never ever given suggestions about uh, memory recall or you'll remember better it's just always been about relaxation and feeling comfort and ease in the body mm -hmm. and in, in the mind and that's been the whole focus yeah which I can imagine by increasing that quality of life, by increasing that enjoyment of life, that um, perhaps, I think is the best we can say, perhaps those symptoms are slowing down. Right. Or at least the quality of life is absolutely improving. Exactly, yeah. There was, um, this came up in, in uh, ICBCH conversation on, on Facebook the other day, um, where I had posted, you know, the study from Dr. Dan Nightingale and, and Somebody asked why after nine months did the improvements disappear? And while well, the study lasted nine months, Dr. Dan worked with the people during that period. And after that, nobody they no longer had hypnosis and there were no recordings for them to listen to. And in the follow-up studies, the improvements had disappeared. Mm -hmm. um, so... As long as you know, it appears that as long as, as people are getting that relaxation, um, the, the improvement um, continues and, and uh, is lasting. Beautiful, beautiful. So uh, I, I know you've got a training coming up about this at HypnoThoughts, correct? Yes, it's the Monday after HypnoThoughts. It's a full day training. And it's going to be about how to work with people who have dementia and Alzheimer's. And, and we're going to, you know, talk uh, somewhat about what Alzheimer's is and, and dementia and the differences. And, uh, but also how to work with people with dementia and Alzheimer's and also their family members or caregivers and how to su provide that hypnosis support and, and stress reduction support uh, for, for caregivers. Which I, I love that so far the through line has been a lot of the same themes that we work with this category. That's a lot of working with those cancer patients. That's a lot of, in addition to the nutrition, a lot of getting someone to the right mindset where now the weight loss is actually happening and how much all of this overlaps in a beautiful way. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I will, with somebody with, uh, at, uh, Client in on Thursday with uh, CRPS, chronic regional pain syndrome, mm -hmm. and got him. Well, first I let him talk about his pain for a little bit, and, and I never, you know, I, I maybe ten minutes max, just long enough to get for me to get the gist of the story and what it is they're going through and and the background on it, and then I cut him off. I go, okay. I know you know your story and you have it memorized and I really don't need to know it and I don't want you fired by those same <laughs> neurons anymore. Uh, so no more about your story. Um, and, um, and I have them start talking about the most happiest, joyful time in their life. And, um, and he started talking about when he first, or, or, or about when, when he, at, it was at their wedding, he, he and his husband's wedding, and dancing at their wedding and the people were there and the party and, and the whole guy was glowing. 
And, and I said, stop. I said, tell me about your level of, of comfort. Now, when he came in the door, uh, his level of discomfort was a nine. And, and then when we switched around, his level of comfort was at a one. And at that point, when he was talking about dancing at the wedding with his husband, it was a, his level of comfort was a 10. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, so now you see how you just did that and how quickly you did that. That's what's possible. And we want to make that lasting and long-term and, and you learn how to do this on your own. And so back to the dementia, I wouldn't necessarily go about it that way, but I would get uh, as much as I can either through pictures or any stories, any way of triggering memories. Often it's uh, asking people to put on uh, favorite music. Yeah. What, what music did, does this person love and enjoy? And that will take them back to a time of, of when they're happy and joyful. And, um, and uh, a man recently, what I did with him, uh, he was, um, uh, you know, it was the, like the late 50s, you know, the good, fun rock and roll stuff and, and the blues and, and, and he was just swaying and giggling and, and I took his left hand and I put it on his chest and just had him hold his hand there. And, and he could just feel his whole body soften and relax. And, and I told the, the son that was with him, I said, no, I said, just, you came in with him and, and you know how tense he was. And I had his, his son put his hand there and hold his hand. I said, no, notice the difference in his body. And his, his son was just blown away by the, mm-hmm. the change, by those simple little techniques. So I'm curious to hear your theory on this because I've heard, well, I've taught that strategy at times to others about just getting them to run that mental pattern once again, remember to remember what that feeling once was, whether it's movement, whether it's dance. Here's here's someone I'm just working with recently that had gone through throat cancer and having him tell the story of what it was like when he was singing was exciting everything again, bringing back the comfort, bringing back the Remembered excitement. Wellness. Yeah, which... I, I always get this question from students, and I have my stock answer. I'm sure yours may be better, uh, which is, wouldn't that depress them? Wouldn't that remind them what they can't do anymore? I've never, ever Same had way. that happen. Exactly, yeah. That's my answer, too. Yeah, no. Uh, why, why, do you think, why do you think that? Well, it's all, it's all memory, you yeah. know, and we have a choice of our memories. And we can either... I think remember how much we we hurt and and suffer, or we can you know. And I often will point out to him, look, you're sitting here in my office, and you know you're not dancing, and you can either focus on that you can't dance, or you can focus on remembering that what it was like to dance. Either way, it's your memory, it's your imagination. Uh, you can be driving down the road and stuck on the freeway in traffic and be late for a meeting and uh, stress out and freak out and be all upset and show up late for your meeting stressed. 
or you can sit back, relax, enjoy the time of sitting still and show up for your lady, show up late for your meeting, relaxed. Either way, you're going to be late. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so here you have a choice. You want to be stressed about it or relaxed about it. Here in my office, you have a choice. Do you want to be uh, remembering the happy times and the good times, or do you want to be sad and depressed? And most people consciously will choose um, the joy and the happiness, but I also point out to them that often their body is addicted to you know to the uh, chemicals of, of depression and anxiety, and, and it's going to feel wonky and weird. There's going to be that period of withdrawal, but I'm supposed to de- be depressed now, or I'm supposed to be anxious now, and, and make that okay, too, that they have that wonkiness. It's, it's okay to, be, to feel weird about feeling good. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful. So we'll link over in the show notes at worksmarthypnosis.com over to your websites, as well as the upcoming uh, training that's happening post-conference at HypnoThoughts Live. Any, any final thoughts to share with the listeners out there? I, I would just encourage people to um, be open to the possibilities of what hypnosis can do for people and and actually bigger than that, what people can do for themselves using hypnosis. And and if when I when I hear other hypnotherapists talk, or you know, particularly new folks, and and or see their posts, uh, the biggest thing is is they need to get out of their own way and let go of their fear and relax and um, go have fun, go play. And, and allow you know, teach people skills and allow them to do the work. Jason Lynette here once again, and as always, thank you so much for interacting with this program, for sharing your reviews online and putting it up on your social media streams. And I will wait to the uh, 50 minute mark or so, as I'm assuming, to now point out that I failed to not mention the James Bond references here, as Roger Moore also played James Bond, but that was a different Roger Moore. For this Roger Moore, once again, head over to the show notes at worksmarthypnosis.com to see the details of his websites as well as the post convention offering at HypnoThoughts Live 2019. Plus, stick around for another two days for neurolinguistic business. Get all the details at worksmarthypnosis.com forward slash NLP biz. Apply the principles of neurolinguistic programming NLP to your business to communicate better with business clients, as well as inspire them to take action with your services. Check that out. See you in Vegas. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast at WorkSmartHypnosis.com. Smart Hypnosis.com.